Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in scripture and dependent on God's spirit. The book of Galatians is a gospel clarifying letter that unpacks the richness and completeness of what Jesus did for us in his death and resurrection. It clearly defines what the gospel is and is not for its readers. It helps us realize the depths of God's love for us in a life of relationship and obedience to Him in His power. Please continue listening for today's message. I'm reading from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 to 15. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, As Ian said, my name is Josh. And so if I haven't met you, it's nice to be in front of you this morning. And if I have met you, the last time I probably saw you was before um, my fiance and I, Bussy, celebrated our traditional Zulu wedding celebration. And uh, I actually didn't have any photos up, but, but Bussy heard about that a few minutes ago. And she was having none of that. <clears throat> and so uh, what this was for us was really the, the traditional Zulu way of announcing that we are going to be married. We're not yet married. The, the wedding is in October. And um, uh, an amazing part of this was that myself and some of my closest friends got to wear what you can see over there. Is, it's what's called a bear shoe, uh, a traditional Zulu loincloth. And an unintended consequence of this is that we've become an Instagram meme right now. <laughs> uh, you might, if you haven't met me, maybe you've seen me on Instagram. There's a, a few videos of us trending at the moment. It's got over a million views, in fact, of... <laughs> These, uh, yeah, no, genuinely. And EFF, <laughs> I, I'm not even joking when I say an EFF member of parliament tweeted about us. And so you, you'd be able to find a group of 10 or 11 scrawny white guys singing Zulu songs. It has been quite, quite humorous. Um, that doesn't really have anything to do with what we're talking about this morning. I just thought it'd be fun to, to share, other than perhaps the fact that Busi and I are not quite yet free in that sense. That is still to come. And so, yes, the elders have invited me this morning to come and share on Galatians chapter five. And uh, yeah, we are continuing in this book as we have been for this year. And so far, what we found in the letter is that Paul has defended his right to share the gospel, the fact that he's actually sharing a true gospel He's also broken down the arguments of some of his opponents in the church in Galatia. These these opponents, these Judaizers, were essentially arguing that, no, you had to be made right with God by observing the law, the Mosaic law, the Torah, uh, which involved a whole bunch of Jewish customs. And um, Paul has been breaking down that argument, and we are now in the section where Paul is actually encouraging the Galatian church to enjoy the freedom that they have in Christ from the law. 
And so we find ourselves almost at the end of, of a three-week mini-series on freedom, what it is to live as people free from the law. So if you haven't uh, been, a, been a with us for the past couple of weeks, I'd really encourage you to go and listen to uh, the, the sermons from two weeks ago, especially last week where Steve shared with us about the fact that we have been set free for freedom's sake. Free from the law for freedom's sake. And if you are like me, then that starts to trigger some sort of anxiousness in you because what, what exactly does that look like? What does freedom from the law look like? If, if we are free for freedom's sake, well, then it begs the question, how should we use our freedom? How should we go about using our freedom? Perhaps you can imagine that later this evening, uh, the president, Cyril Ramaphosa, is gonna have one of those family meetings, those team talks that he used to have during COVID. Except this time, he's not declaring a new lockdown stage. What he declares is that actually there are no more laws in the country. There is complete freedom from the law of the land. Any citizen, in fact, any foreigner, anyone who is within South Africa is now free from the law. What do you think would happen? Yeah, the nervous chuckles suggest exactly what would happen. There would be absolute mayhem, right? There would be pandemonium. Perhaps we would become the next series or next installment of that series called The Purge, which is a, a horror franchise set in America where crime is decriminalized for a 12-hour hour period once a year. And it's, it serves for a really good horror movie, but probably wouldn't be very practical. But maybe let me ask you, instead of thinking about South Africa out there, what would you do? What's, what's the inclination in your heart? As I say, there are no more laws. Things that once bound you, things, things that once held you to account, you're now free from. What would be the thing that you'd be most likely to go and do? And that's what Paul essentially is wanting his audience to think about. That's what he's wanting us to think about this morning. And what he's gonna do is he's gonna set before us two types of freedom. There's a freedom that is according to the world and there's a freedom that is according to Jesus. And each type of freedom has a, has a response. It's based on certain underlying ideas or beliefs about what freedom is. And there's each, each type of freedom has a particular outcome. So that's where we're gonna be going this morning, looking at those two types of freedom. Freedom according to the world and freedom according to Jesus. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna dive right into the first point. So Heavenly Father, we are so grateful this morning to come before you and worship you together as brothers and sisters. And we rejoice in the freedom that we have in you. And Father, I pray that this morning as you presence yourself amongst us, God, you would help us to understand this freedom. Help us to truly grasp what it means to be free and help us to walk in that. In Jesus' name, amen. So firstly, unpacking the freedom according to the world, Paul highlights in this text uh, a kind of response, a worldly response to hearing the message, you are now free from the law. And he does this in the first half of verse 13. So read along with me. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. At this point, Paul is anticipating this worldly response. 
Uh, it's a potential misunderstanding to what he's been teaching the Galatians so far in his letter. And the, the potential misunderstanding is what he goes on to call an opportunity for the flesh. Now the flesh here is referring to our old kind of self. Uh, what, what, what we are, who we are outside of Jesus and perhaps before we come to Jesus. It's our, our old selves, our fallen nature, full of, of desires and um, greeds and temptations and lusts before coming to know the person of Jesus. And so that, that means that it's, it's all of our inclinations to live the way we used to live before coming to know Christ those desires that perhaps you even still feel as a, as a Christ follower, but you know aren't the real you, the new you in Jesus. Uh, a practical example for me when it comes to this, uh, experiencing some of the, the, the desires of the old self, even though I know what it is to be a new self in Jesus, is, is when it comes to the road. Now, when, when, I, when I hear the, the idea, Saul Ramaphosa bans all or removes all laws, I just picture all the speed limits down Maid Road, all those signs just poof, popping and, and disappearing. And as someone who grew up in Joburg, I've got enough of that GP number plate almost like woven into my DNA that already with the laws in place, I know that the right-hand lane is really for sin. That's, that's not for overtaking, that's not for the speed limit, that's actually for sin. And I, when, when I think of, of this analogy, all laws are removed, I know that my, probably the biggest area of temptation for me would be to go berserk on the roads. But maybe there are some less socially acceptable um, desires that might come up. Perhaps it would be some sort of prideful comparison, uh, maybe some laziness, lust, racism, wh whatever it would be. These, these are the things that get the better of us sometimes even though we know Jesus. And so the question arises, should we, under our newfound freedom from the law, indulge in these desires? Should we indulge in the desires that we were limited um, under the law by, now that we are free from the law? And I, I really wanna pause here because this is something significant that Paul is addressing, this potential response, this worldly response. And the reason it's significant is because this response is a logical yet incorrect response to the message of the gospel. This is a logical yet incorrect response to the message of our freedom. And I say it's logical because the gospel truly is this radical. It truly is a message about total freedom from the law. You are not made right with God based on observing the law. You are set free from the law. It doesn't play a practical role in your relationship with God anymore. This is a scandalous message. And Paul doesn't just address it here in, in his letter to the Galatians, but he actually addresses it in numerous other contexts. For example, when he's writing to the Romans, he says this in Romans chapter six, verse 15. What then are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? That, that's almost the exact same question that's at the back of the Galatians' minds right now. Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? And if this question is nagging at the back of your mind, then you've probably grasped the radical nature of the gospel. If you, if you haven't, well then I encourage you to press in to what exactly this means, the gospel, that, it, that you are free from the law. But I say that this is an incorrect response 
because it is based on a worldly understanding of freedom. So although it is a logical response, it is the incorrect response. What exactly is this worldly idea of freedom? Culturally speaking, freedom in the circles that we operate in is only considered to be a freedom from. Right? When you think of freedom, what probably comes to mind is a freedom from, and that is a freedom from any kind of restraint, a freedom uh, that has no responsibility, nothing to limit you. And under this idea of freedom, what we prize is self-assertion. Right? I, I want to do whatever I want to do, or I'm going to do whatever I want to do at any given time, and nobody's going to tell me otherwise. That is what true freedom is, the ability to decide what I want to do without any kind of limits. With, with, with that kind of idea of freedom, there's an idea of autonomy as free action, right? living completely indep independently, free of coercion and any sort of limitation. And... I mean, to, to highlight this, I've chosen a couple villains from, from movies. I, I love the Avengers, and Ultron says this. He says, I had strings, but now I'm free. There are no strings on me. It's actually from Pinocchio, but Pinocchio is not quite the, the, the villain, so, so let's rather go with Ultron. Or perhaps another villain, Elsa from Frozen. She says this, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Right? This, is, this is the cultural mandate. This is the cultural idea of what freedom is. It is an absence of any kind of restraint. That's what worldly freedom is, an absence of any kind of restraint. So let's test this. Let's test this idea of freedom with, with the associated response. What, what would be the worldly outcome if we were to carry this idea out? Is this kind of freedom an absence from restraint and therefore doing what you want, giving yourself an opportunity for the flesh, is that kind of freedom delivering what it promises? Because remember, if we are free from the law, we are free for freedom's sake, free to continue in freedom. So has this kind of worldly freedom brought about genuine freedom? Has it brought about freedom for freedom's sake? If we consider the fact that we live in an age with no restraint on the information we have access to, on the amount of connection we enjoy, the way in which we communicate, do we see increased freedom and enjoyment in how we relate to one another? Or do we rather see increased addiction to social media, increased anxiety, increased loneliness, increased polarization, perhaps you've come across that on your social media feeds, increased animosity, what about uh, considering the fact that we live in an age with no restraint on the amount of entertainment we have at the very tips of our fingers? Do we see an increased enjoyment and freedom in our rest when we do um, have a gap from work and, and enjoy some kind of downtime? Do we see increased freedom? Or do we see increased distraction, increased addiction to streaming platforms, increased laziness and dissatisfaction with our leisure times. Again, we live in an age with no restraint to sexual expression and sexual desire. If we take pornography as a, as a slice, an example of our, our age's mantra when it comes to freedom, we have 
unparalleled access and anonymity and affordability, the things that make it so, so free in a sense. Do we see increased freedom and enjoyment in our sexuality? Or do we see increased bondage, addiction, aberration and even violence in what our culture portrays as sex and sexuality? See, I think if we're honest with ourselves and test this kind of worldly freedom, we begin to see that we're not actually more free. Under this kind of freedom, what we truly find is, is a type of slavery, right? The, the idea of freedom as doing whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, is almost more a slavery to your own kind of human desires. You, you just give free reign to your appetites whenever, whenever they arise. And really what that is, is a kind of slavery to sin. It's a slavery to your desires. That's why Paul, when he addresses this very question to the Roman church, one, one verse after where I read in, in Romans chapter six, he says the following. So are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness. Don't you know that as you present yourself to the thing that you obey, in this case your desires, you are becoming a slave of the one that you obey? What about the words of Jesus in John chapter eight? He says the following, truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So viewing the freedom that we have in Jesus the freedom from the law as an opportunity for the flesh is in truth a kind of slavery. This is the way sin almost mocks you as we begin to almost make an emphasis of our freedom that we have, we, we turn that freedom into a kind of slavery. And in truth, Christianity has had a long history of defining sin in the way we currently define freedom. Right? Martin Luther, one of the reformers, defines sin as, as ourselves turned inward on ourselves. It's, it's our desires turned inward, facing ourselves. And yet that's what we popularly uh, portray as freedom. Do what you want to do. The truth is that a free for all leads to slavery. And this is a kind of deception that we would be tempted to fall into. If we follow what the world says about freedom, Free grace becomes almost a base of operation for our sin. That's what that word opportunity is also translated as, almost like a launching pad for any kind of sin. So if this is true, if this is true, then what is the freedom that Christ presents us with? What is the freedom that we have in Jesus? Let's look at that now. So the freedom according to Jesus has a Christ-like response. And that's what Paul moves into when he finishes off verse 13. He says, for freedom you were called, for, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. So in our freedom, Paul commands us, he encourages us, Use your freedom to become servants. Use your freedom to become servants. It, it's almost paradoxical. The type of freedom that Paul is calling us to in Christ 
is a, is almost a kind of slavery. Hey, become slaves to one another in your freedom to Jesus. Which immediately probably touches on some nerves in us, right? How, how can this be? This doesn't sound like freedom. This is, this, is a, this is an obligation. I can't truly be free. But again, I would, I would just encourage us to, to think about whether or not we are relying on a worldly definition of freedom when we respond to this statement. So if the Christ-like response to freedom is through love serve, then what, what exactly is the understanding of Christ-like freedom? You see, one of the main problems with uh, defining freedom as just giving yourself free reign to do whatever your desires want to do is the fact that our desires compete. Sometimes we have competing desires. It's too simplistic to say, well, freedom means doing whatever you want to do at any given point in time because at any given point in time, you might have conflicting desires. So for example, if, if I want to uh, run rampage on the roads when there are no uh, laws limiting my speed, I might enjoy the desire to go as quickly as I possibly can, but I simultaneously have a desire not to lose my life. And I also have a desire to protect others and people around me. Those two desires are actually in conflict at, at that point in time. Maybe another example, and I, and I lean on Tim Keller for his helpful analogies on this. If you, if you are someone who really enjoys eating food, um, and, and that's not something superficial, I don't mean that tongue in cheek, I mean uh, if you enjoy having a good meal with friends, but perhaps there are, there are things in, in the foods that you eat that have actually led to you having health problems, now you are faced with conflicting desires. Do you, do you indulge in the desire to eat certain foods with your friends and family, or do you pursue the desire to live a healthy life? Your desires are in conflict. So freedom isn't simply giving, giving yourself an opportunity to indulge in your desires. Freedom is, in truth, choosing which desires to operate under. Freedom is, is sifting through the superficial desires that, that might lead to immediate satisfaction for desires that actually bring long-term joy and freedom. Real freedom comes from a strategic loss of some desires in order to enjoy other desires. So we have to choose certain constraints in order to enjoy freedom. And under that idea of freedom, even just testing that with, with a couple analogies, you can see that freedom isn't simply an absence of restraint. It can't be an absence of restraint. It's choosing the correct restraints, choosing the liberating constraints. And the reason this works is because there is a design. There's a design to us. There's a design to, to many things. Freedom is truly operating with the design that we were intended to operate with. So if you think of a fireplace, right, you enjoy the freedom of a fireplace when it, was, when it is within the correct limits, when there is something protecting you from the fire. If you are to say, well, freedom is simply doing whatever you want, then why not let the fire just escape the fireplace? Let it escape, let it burn through your home. That wouldn't be freedom. Freedom is enjoying the, the design that it was meant to have. So if we apply that analogy to us, how exactly has God designed us? What are the constraints that God puts on us? 
The truth is that the biblical idea of freedom is that it's not just a freedom from, not just a freedom from restraint and absence of restraints, but also a freedom for, a freedom for God, a freedom for his ways, his purposes. Freedom biblically defined is loving God. It's loving his people and loving his ways. That's what true biblical freedom is. And so it doesn't mean that we as people set free from the law are free from any kind of moral obligations. No, it means that true freedom enjoys those obligations correctly used for our good, for our design. God has given us moral directives because he loves us, because he's designed us for them. And we, when we follow them, get caught up with God. We get caught up with him and his ways and his purposes. Maybe to rival the quote from Ultron, we've got a quote from a 16th century Puritan uh, who says the following, a Christian is the greatest freeman in the world, yet in regard of love, he is the greatest servant. That's what freedom looks like. You are the most free person in the world if your faith is in Jesus. And yet, when it comes to love, you are the greatest servant. Perhaps to rival the song of Elsa, we've got the song of Charles Wesley, who says the following, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee, referring to God. So I'm free, but I'm free to follow. That is Christian freedom. In this passage that we're looking at in Galatians, Paul's focus is on the social dynamic of this freedom, on, on loving one another, and through that love, serving one another. And so that's what Paul is focusing on. And so if that is true for, for what Christian freedom is, and that is what our response should be, well then let's test this freedom. Let us see how this freedom plays out. Is this kind of freedom delivering what it is promising? And has this kind of freedom truly brought about freedom for freedom's sake? Let's consider this from a relational point of view, right? If you imagine any of the relationships in your lives, whether it be from some kind of friendship um, through to marriage, you know that, that, that those relationships are beautiful things, good things to enjoy, and yet you also know that enjoying those relationships necessarily require you to give up some of your freedom. If you wanted to enjoy the benefits of those friendships or marriages, whatever it may be, you know that you also have to lose some of your freedom, some of your personal enjoyments. Any love, love relationship works this way. So I might be free to not wear a bear shoe at uh, our traditional Zulu celebration, but that would probably hurt Busi and, and not, it, it wouldn't allow us to enjoy a good relationship. So in a sense, I need a sacrifice and, and it wasn't a big sacrifice. In fact, if I could have it my way, I'd probably be wearing it now, but I don't think Ian would be very, very impressed. Um, I would sacrifice my desire to perhaps be fully clothed in order to enjoy the relationship. Oh, that would be a bad quote taken out of context. <laughs> Nobody quote me on, on just that part alone. So in relationships, if you have people saying, hey, I, I'm willing to change for you. I'm willing to sacrifice for you. I'm willing to adjust for you in our relationship. That is the context in which you feel most free. Would you not agree? Self-giving 
in, in those relationships, any relationship, is the context in which we feel most free, most uh, joy. It's not, it's not self-assertion like the worldly kind of freedom. It is self-giving that leads you to feel most free. Perhaps if you think about it from the point of view of relating to other brothers and sisters in Christ, if you operate under this type of freedom, this response that through love I should serve one another, you are also freed from a sort of ladder climbing comparison where you, where you try and put yourself against one another. You're free from a kind of selfish and prideful insecurity that can come when, when someone does better than you in a certain area. When someone is upfront and recognized more than you are, you, you, if you through love serve one another, you are freed from that kind of insecurity. What about a zero-sum game of loving one another. Rich gave a, a wonderful picture in the, the prayer meeting of how at times in our relationships with one another, we can almost keep a, a tally, a subconscious tally of, you've done five good deeds for me, okay, that warrants me doing you know, one really nice deed for you. And so we, we put our good deeds off against one another, but that happens when we're not operating from the point of view of loving service. So when we operate under loving service, we truly are more free in our relationships. This kind of response does deliver what it is promising. And incidentally, actually, Paul goes on to say that when you, when you live in this kind of way, you actually end up fulfilling the law. You end up fulfilling the law. Look at verse 14. The whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's why we should through love serve one another. He's giving a reason as to why this is the best kind of freedom. This kind of loving service fulfills the message of the Old Testament. He's quoting Leviticus here, and again, this picks up on the teachings of Jesus elsewhere, where, for example, in Matthew 7, he says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, because this is the law and the prophets. So in an ironic, almost twist, your freedom from the law enables you to love. And when you love one another, you incidentally fulfill the law. Freedom from the law truly enables fulfillment of the law as you serve one another in love. And again, it would almost seem a bit strange that Paul is referring to the law He's, he spent so long in this letter alone telling us how we are free from the law. So why would he say, well, love one another because in that way you fulfill the law? It's, it's important to note that Paul isn't contradicting himself. He hasn't forgotten what he said just before. Rather, Paul knows that when, when we live out this kind of Christian life, uh, we naturally end up fulfilling the law, right? It's almost like, this command is more of an effect, that when you, when you strike a heart that has been moved by the gospel, a heart that was, once was legalistic and trying to relate to God by proving yourself to him, when you strike that heart with the gospel, what you would find is natural loving good deeds, a natural kind of love and service for one another. And we already captured a sense of this in last week's passage. In the very passage where he's telling us, don't submit to the law, don't go back to the law, don't submit again to that yoke of slavery, he says the following in verse six. 
In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. What counts? Only faith working through love. Only faith working through love. The evidence of faith, the evidence of having genuinely come to Christ is our love. It's a a key statement for the Christian life. And I I love the way you you can think about this, right? Elsewhere, an evidence that you are saved is that you love the saints, that you love other Christian brothers and sisters. And my, my favorite part, as much as I joke about um, being able to wear the, the traditional Zulu attire, my favorite part about the whole celebration that we had was seeing how our families came together. People that have been deeply hurt by the, um, the past of this country are now, now sitting together and, and saying, this is, this is astounding. Pussy's family members told her not to come and study in Cape Town because she might bring home a white boy. And she did. And now they have to sit next to one another at a, at a, at a celebration. And the truth is, there was such an incredible sense of love amongst the Christian Zulu people and the Christian English white people. Why? Because there's, there's a sense that love flows from a faith in Christ. There's a natural kind of love. This is also why Paul goes on to mention a little bit later on, I think it's the passage we might be looking at next week, maybe the following week. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit. So he says in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The first fruit of the Spirit. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Well, Paul addressed what it meant for the Galatian church in verse 15. He says to them, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So apparently their, their flesh, they were, they were, their, their flesh was expressing itself in such a way that they were acting with a kind of poisonous language towards one another, almost behaving a bit like animals. And Paul addresses this. He's saying, if you wanna respond with the worldly kind of response to the freedom that you've been given, just know that you're gonna end up consuming one another. We, we should probably do our own audit. What are the signs of the flesh at work in our relationships? Where, where might there be festering things underneath the surface that we maybe can't put our fingers on, but we, we, we know are there? Is there any perhaps bitterness or, or jealousy, unforgiveness? Things that maybe feel good at first, right? The superficial initial desire that you, that you wanna indulge in, things that feel good, but which ultimately lead to you just being consumed. I love the fact that this uh, command to love one another is exactly that, to love one another, because it is so broad. You, you can't really put it into law. If the command is to love, then we need to consider how to apply that in each of our relationships. Some of us might be really enjoying coming to Common Ground because it is such a big church that actually we don't, we don't have to serve. We can enjoy the benefits of a wonderful kids program um, and, and, and not have to do too much by way of building relationships with other Christ followers. But actually you're just selling yourself short. You're just selling yourself short. If we were to again, again ask, who are the happiest and freest people in the church right now. They're probably the people that were serving on the holiday club, 
people that gave absolutely everything for free for a week. And they're probably still asleep right now. But <laughs> nevertheless, there's a kind of deep fulfillment that comes when you give yourself in the service of one another. They were part of something incredible. And our culture would say, no, actually, you're gonna be happier if you do nothing and have others serve you. But in practice, what we see is that God's kingdom is the opposite. If you would start loving others, if you would start caring for them, you'd probably find increased joy and freedom, which is why the words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive, ring so true. It truly is more blessed to give than to receive. Same thing applies to life group. If you, if you think, hey, you're winning because you're not getting stuck into the mess of relationships in life group, actually you're missing out. Life group is an incredible grace. How well is your idea of freedom working for you? I wanna start to come into land by addressing a question that perhaps I haven't yet asked or answered. Um, we've, we've looked at the, the response to the question of how should I use my freedom? How should I best use my freedom? And in truth, the, the best way for us to use our freedom is to employ it in the service of one another. But it doesn't answer the question of, well, well how do I go about doing that? It doesn't answer the question of how do I combat the flesh? How do I combat those desires that are so present and at work in me? And the mistake would be to hear this message and respond by, by thinking, okay, well, I guess I've just got to produce love. I've got to work up a kind of love in me for brothers and sisters I don't really care that much about. Um, I've got to do this. And, and the, then, then you'd be turning love into the new kind of law. That wouldn't be the right response. You have to run to God. You have to go to God. You have to ask for his help. We have to admit off the bat that we can't do this on our own strength. That we can't, we can't actually even do this by wanting to obey the law. And Paul starts to address this in the next section. It's what we're gonna look at next week when he says in verse 16 of this passage, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the spirit. When you go to God and you ask for his help, for his service, that's when you start to enjoy the freedom that comes from the Christian life. And the truth is that Christianity is the only religion that talks about a God who has served us. A God who doesn't expect to be served, right? Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christianity is the only religion that would talk that way because it's the only religion that addresses our desperate need for God to do that. Jesus shows this kind of loving service for us in the most beautiful way. If we look at Philippians chapter two, again, Paul in that context is encouraging us to, to consider one another um, above ourselves and this is his reason. Uh, consider Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
The gospel is the beautiful news that God is the one who says, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to sacrifice for you at great cost to myself so that you would enjoy freedom. You would truly walk in the freedom that you've been called to. And so to anyone who's exploring the claims of Christ this morning and who's with us, can I encourage you to explore this kind of freedom from within this community? Get involved, learn what it, what it is to be a member of a life group. Learn what it is to be known and loved by other Christ followers. Because this is the only place that you will experience true freedom, is in Christ and in his bride. And for those Christ followers who are with us, there's also the, the daunting reality of knowing that, man, that freedom hasn't yet fully come to me. I haven't, I haven't fully experienced that. I experienced it in a great way when I first came to Christ, but I'm so aware of my own shortcomings. Again, I would just encourage you, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, come to him, call upon his name and ask for his spirit, which if you walk by his spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. So can the band join me up on stage? We're gonna go into a time of communion. And as we do, I'd just like to remind us that it's not, it's not Cyril who has said there are no laws. It's, it's God, it is your God, your creator who has said you are free from the law. The choice before you is how are you gonna respond? Are you going to respond with a worldly kind of freedom? A worldly response that says, well, this is a great opportunity for me to do what I want. Or are you gonna respond in the way you were designed to respond? A Christ-like freedom that looks to him, that enjoys the freedom of loving service towards one another. Let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you, God, that this is an amazing gospel, an amazing message of freedom from the law, freedom from needing to prove ourselves to you in order to get into your presence. God, we know how crippling that is. We know that we are completely useless at, at doing that. And God, we, we are so grateful for your son who gave up the throne room of heaven to come and serve us and not just serve us, but to die for us. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you bought our freedom and we thank you that you give us an example to live in that freedom. You show us what it looks like to live in that freedom, a freedom of loving service. Jesus, I pray that for those in this room who are, have been hurt by the church, that you would just minister to their hearts right now. Come and remind us of your goodness and that actually Christian community is the place where you get to work these out, these difficulties out. Jesus, I pray for those who are struggling to believe this kind of freedom exists, that you would come and encourage them. Encourage them to see the sacrifice you went through to enjoy the freedom you now experience. Come and presence yourself amongst us, Lord.